part of that pre-half and post-game. And he's also a former BYU men's basketball assistant coach. And above all, he's just an incredibly, incredibly good man. It's uh, Coach Tim Lacombe joining us here on the Full Court Press. Coach, thanks for your time. Great to have you. Great. Thank you so much. I don't think I've ever had anybody say that about me from Logan. So Yeah, you gotta, you got to have DJ and PK be better. I mean, look, if they're going to have you on their show, they got to... Well, he did qualify from Logan. Oh, that's a good point. Typ- yeah. Typically, typically when, the way that it would work is we'd arrive in Logan night before the game for shoot-around, um, and we'd be greeted by a couple hundred people telling us, you know, that we're entering the bowels of hell. <laughs> and... Uh, didn't have very nice things to say about my mom or my family. <laughs> it's nice to hear some good folks up there. Yeah. Oh, man. Tim, you're one of the best in the business. I had the honor and pleasure of working with you uh, for a game in the Beehive Classic, and you were just an absolute blast and a consummate professional. No one better than you. And so it's it's great to have you on our show. Honor and privilege. Well, uh, it's nice of you to say, man. Thank you. Hey, Coach. Uh, Nuggets Jazz Series now split at one apiece. What differences did you see between game one and game two? You know what? Uh, really, it's it's a funny game, and, and basketball and momentum's really fickle. But um, you know, really, the, the the story of game one was was Donovan Mitchell, um, you know, and Jamal Murray basically going back and forth at each other. Um, I have always absolutely loved Jamal Murray, even back to the college days, watching him play. Um, just one of those guys that can get you a basket from anywhere at any point in time, and seems like the bigger the situation, the better he gets. Um, and then Donovan's obviously playing just a terrific level. So that game really kind of went um, went back and forth, momentum, and Denver ended up kind of outlasting the Jazz. But I feel like the Jazz kind of found some things last game, um, you know, in the way that they uh, operated pick and roll um, and, and really, most importantly, just shots fell for them, you know, from three. The way the Jazz play, they have to – make threes to be um to be really as good as they want to be uh and they're going to get them but it's a matter of whether they knock them down or not so um felt like the jazz just played a little bit more the aggressor a little more on attack from the beginning and then just kind of rode donovan's momentum through the whole thing and donovan did a great job of finding guys did you watching that game did you get the sense that denver saw the performance that donovan had in game one but still the team didn't get the win that look this this guy gave us his best shot they still didn't get the win we can take care of these guys and just overlooked utah no you know what's interesting you hear that a lot on the outside i don't know really how much of that goes on i almost tend to believe that um you know little tweaks here and there by by the players something they learn from game to game you know maybe something the coaches found specifically um and then just Donovan, most importantly, Donovan being a willing passer. You know, it's a, it's really a great trait that he has that he can draw and create, um, you know, help based basically on one or two dribbles, and then he's just great at finding guys. And and then what really has to happen for that to be successful? He's got to make the shot. So, um, you know, Jazz did a great job of moving it. Uh, the ball did not stick. Um, and then guys on the on the receiving end knock shots down. You brought up pick and roll defense a little bit earlier, and uh, some of the adjustments, little adjustments that the Jazz made. It seemed like Denver really struggled with their pick and roll offense. And I mean, as a complete unprofessional, <laughs> it seemed to me that the Jazz were doing a much better job of taking away passing lanes, and so it made it a little more difficult for 
Jokic to get the ball where he wanted, or even Murray, uh, and it forced them into second, third, and fourth options from where they perhaps wanted to start the play. Yeah, I feel like you know that's that's really from a coaching perspective. That's what um, that's what you're trying to do. You know, you're trying to say what is option A and B and even C, and how do we get them to, to option D? Um, and, and some you know some teams that's easier to do than others. I mean, you can say that with James Harden, um, you know, just trap him, take him away. But he is such an elite passer um, that, you know, it doesn't always work. But I feel like the, that that's what a coach tries to do. So, yeah, you, that was that was actually pretty professional, Eric. You were, oh, don't, you were, don't, uh, coach. Please don't do that. We need to record that and put that on the loop. <laughs> we're not rolling, actually. So, <laughs> hey, uh, hey, coach, you have a different eye than guys like Eric and I see the game. What have you seen out of Juwan Morgan that has given Coach Snyder so much trust in him as in the games one and two? You know, I don't know a ton about Juwan, but one I can tell you from history, and you know, you want to have confidence that that a a guy is going to give you everything he has. I think that. At the NBA level, you know, guys, particularly on the fringe, I mean, that's what they live for is that opportunity. Um, and then most, almost more important than that is just an understanding of, of what you're trying to do. Um, you know, you can get guys that are very talented and perhaps more talented than other guys, but particularly in this situation where Jawan's kind of joining a group and hasn't played a ton with them all year long, you just want a guy who's going to go out there and A, play hard, and B, just know where he's supposed to be and when he's supposed to be there. Um, and all the other stuff kind of works itself out. We went through, you know, you guys talked about uh, a little bit about Jimmer. Um, obviously, the, the, the situation with Jimmer, his freshman year, he didn't start one game for us, you know. Uh, and I think maybe that could tell you why I'm sitting in the corporate America now because <laughs> can figure out we had Jimmer as a freshman. But, um you know, in all honesty, though, I mean, we, we had a really great option in Murdoch, who's, uh, my understanding, is a Logan guy. Yes. Um, and and Ben was, you know, Ben was seasoned and had played a long time and was mature. And he most importantly knew, you know, we had a talented group out there. We had uh, guys like Playstead and Kamard and, and Tavanari. So we really needed a point guard who just understood what we were trying to do and get the ball where, where it needed to go. Um, and Jimmer came in from the start, you know, and it was a great thing, but Jim was always thinking, how can I get this ball in the basket? So there was a little bit of a uh, situation where we went with maybe, um, and this is no knock on Ben because, you know, Jimmer ended up being national player of the year, but we went with a guy who was maybe a little less talented for a guy who really did understand what we were trying to do and just kind of fit that role better. So, that's probably the same situation Jawan's going through right now. He's joining a team. He's got some familiarity with the, with the guys, but he just can play hard, make get extra possessions, knock down open shots, and just not get in the way. Jawan Morgan has certainly been um, a nice bright spot for the Jazz. And uh, you, you talk about the change of Donovan Mitchell from Game 1 to Game 2. Another guy that I felt like had more of an impact in Game 2 compared to Game 1 was Royce O'Neal. Uh, I, I thought that his defensive presence on Murray was much more effective and I thought he was more of a um, more of a contributor offensively as well for the Jazz and I think that made a big difference uh, for Utah. What what have you seen in Royce O'Neal and how important is he to the success of this this series for the Utah Jazz? 
you know, I think I think Royce is really, really important to the Jazz overall because he is the guy who gets probably the toughest assignment night in and night out defensively, and he's going to guard guys bigger than him, and he'll guard guards as well. And so the fact that he's versatile and has the ability to kind of keep bigger guys away from the basket and smaller guys at bay, you know, not giving up straight-line drives, um, he's a guy you really lean on. And then, you know, I think his effort and intensity is pretty similar night in and night out. I think that's the kind of his hallmark. Um, but where he becomes so valuable is he's a guy, you know, you're going to have Gobert rolling. You're going to have Joe spotted up. you get Donovan with the ball in his hand. Um, and, you know, the one guy you're going to probably say, oh, we'll take our chances sucking off a little bit is, you know, uh, on defense is, is off of uh, is Royce's man. So it's just, uh, you know, that's going to be really important because he's going to get a lot of catch-and-shoot threes. And that's kind of what his role is on this team. It's three and D. Um, and, and it's funny because he makes a few shots and it seems maybe he's playing better defense. You know, that, that's even an error sometimes you make as a coach. But more than anything, he's going to get similar shots and he's going to play hard defensively. It's, hey, can I knock down open ones? And, and yeah, I think him, he is an X factor for this series because I think he is a guy that can guard and cause problems for Murray. Um, but also offensively, you know, he's going to get shots and he's proven he can, you know, knock them down at 40% or better. Um, the Jazz are going to be in a good place. What do you see uh, happening in tomorrow's Game 3? Uh, it's inter- It'll be interesting because there's always tweaks, and that's kind of the beauty of the NBA playoffs. I, I, I don't really love the NBA all year long, um, but, man, the playoffs, that's where everything kind of gets fine-tuned and coaches are doing everything they can. It's like a chess match, you know, really high-level chess match. So I love how everything goes into it. My expectation was that, is that Denver has got to do a, you know, do something to try to commit to get the ball out of Donovan's hands. Um, I almost wonder if maybe they let Rudy um, get some – maybe the Jazz might have some roles open up, you know, because everybody's so worried about shooters – um, and that may be something that where it's a two-pointer as opposed to a three, they're going to make you know Rudy more of a scorer. Um, but I would have to think Denver's going to have to do something to just really slow Donovan's rhythm down and get the ball out of his hands and not let him, uh, whether it's trapping ball screens or running two guys at him as he crosses half court, just to get the ball out of his hands and not let him get in a rhythm would be my guess. Um, it's always interesting on the other end because, you know, in my mind, Jokic is one of the great players in the league, but Rudy tends to really kind of neutralize him, and they need him to be great to, to for them to, to win the series, speaking of Denver. Um, and that's where the Jazz, I think, that's why I feel like from the beginning, I felt like it was a great matchup, because Jokic is so key to them, and I feel like Rudy, more than anybody perhaps in the league, neutralizes him. Um, so I feel, I'm confident with the Jazz figuring out a way to win tomorrow, and I actually have, I picked them to win the, the series as well, so I uh, think they'll do that. Utah Jazz Radio Network analyst and former BYU men's basketball assistant coach Tim Lacombe joins us here on the Full Court Press. Coach, you understand the importance and the imperativeness of a relationship with players, uh, from a coaching member to a player. Johnny Bryant will take the uh, head associate job in New York under Tom Thibodeau. Does that is it similar? of the relationship or the importance of relationship with a player and coach in college 
as it is in the NBA? I ask because Donovan Mitchell, a day after scoring 57, the wor- the fear is that Donovan might go and head to New York to play with Johnny Bryant because they have the relationship with each other. Yeah, well, it's interesting, and congrats to Johnny. Johnny was actually um, the guy who played for us at Utah when I was there, and um, Johnny's one of the uh, great young coaches, but more importantly, one of the great people in the country. Um, it's not out of the ordinary, even you know, at my old rusty age, to uh, get a text every now and again from Johnny, who's um, out there setting the world on fire. So um, it's always awesome to see people to kind of remember people along the journey, but I'm so happy for Johnny. Um, I would have to think that's part of New York's positioning. Um, Johnny's also notoriously tight and grew up in the same uh, area as Damian Lillard, um, just a few years ahead of him. So um, played for the same AAU team as well. So there's got to be something to that. Also with the fact that Johnny's just great at what he does. uh, He's one of the, the best you know, known player development guys in the NBA. So I think guys like him and they like working with him. But the X factor and the thing you always got to remember is, you know, it's a long way for Donovan between now and then. Um, You know, a lot of things can happen in a positive light and a lot of things can happen in a tough light. And that's why, you know, looking three years down the road. And the other thing is, you know, what's the tenure of a New York Nick, assistant coach, how long does that typically last? You know, so there's a lot of things that actually have to happen for those to stack up. Uh, great um, point. Will that coaching yeah. staff still even be in place? Yeah, I mean, coaching's so fickle, man. You you see guys all the time have a great year, and the next year they struggle, and they're out on their ear, and it's just it's the nature of it. So you talk three years in a coaching situation, man, you, you might as well. Yeah, that's a long way away. Speaking about coaching, just let's talk about Quinn Snyder. As you've observed him, you've worked uh, with him in in various different capacities. Just the type of mind that he has, and the type of preparation that he'll he'll put in to get the Jazz ready for Game Three and and, and to play well in this series. Um, and what kind of adjustments do you think you know he might make coming into Game Three? Well, you know, I think Quinn's the ultimate um, you know tactician. I I go back to last year when the Jazz played the Rockets. Um, in the first round, and the Jazz kind of came up with the, you know, jumping up all the way up on Harden's left side. And even though he got a full head of steam, like it, it didn't look great the first game. The second game, the Jazz got better at it. By the end of the series, not only was it ultra effective, but everybody else that played the Rockets employed it. I mean, you still see it now. Um, and I think that's what Quinn is. I think he's a, a guy who thinks outside the box. Um, I, I think there's guys who, kind of do what they do and then there's guys that are always constantly tweaking and trying to find advantages and I think Quinn's that type of guy I I really I don't know him great personally but I've I've got so much respect for what he's done through his career and and really kind of what he's done with the Jazz since he's got here Um, and it's fun because I have two guys Johnny and Alex Jensen who were both uh, players on staffs I was on um, so it's just cool to see all that stuff kind of come together, but I can't say enough positive about Quinn. I think he's uh, he's a guy, and I think this is probably the best compliment you could pay him. Uh, he's a guy that players trust, and I think he does a great job as a communicator, and and he has a vision. And I think guys believe it and buy it, and um, that's as you guys know, that's that's 
90% of the game. Coach, the Mountain West Wire all-decade team uh, for the Mountain West Conference just came out today. Uh, three guys that you are extremely, extremely familiar with are all on the first team, that being your own Jimmer Fredette, a guy you faced and gave you trouble, Kawhi Leonard, and, of course, Sam Merrill from Utah State. Ken, I know it's a loaded question, so forgive me for this, but can you talk about what all three had as an impact, not only on their teams, but on the conference as well? Yeah, I, I, I think that's awesome. And what what a group of guys, right? I mean, you talk about, um, you know, start with, because we're talking Logan, let's talk, start with Sam. I mean, here's a guy that, um, you know, from the high, from young, from a young age, all that kid did uh, was win. Didn't matter what club team he was on. Um, his high school teams won state championships. You know, he went to Logan and absolutely tore it up for four years. I, I am such a Sam Merrill guy. Um, I had an awesome opportunity to recruit him. I don't think we were ever in the game, um, but you talk about a kid with nothing but respect um lowers his head gets it done i i think that he's a guy if you if you want to sum up his career um is i think he he's similar to tyler hawes who i coached just consistent um you know very rarely did you see a night where sam just didn't have it and i mean that's that's so hard what these guys go through the the travel the knocking around and practice you know, and trying to maintain school and being married and being an amateur and not having a ton of money go down the list. But his ability to be consistently good um, was was really, really impressive. And um, he's a guy who, having coached against him, he's the number one guy on the scouting report every night, um, you know, from about his sophomore year on. And I just feel like his um, – his leadership and consistency, I think, is the hallmark he'll leave there. Um, Jim was a guy who, you know, it really kind of became a phenomenon. Um, Jimmer was, in my mind, he kind of transcended the game. Um, you know, what he did in 2010-11, you know, you started seeing even the NBA play a little bit different. And, you know, you started seeing guys, you know, shoot it from quote-unquote Jimmer range in the NBA. And now it's you got Dame night in and night out pulling up from the logo. Um, I think Jimmer, there, there's something, I think he, he was, um, in my mind, a little bit revolutionary, which I really always kind of liked. He, you know, wouldn't be seen as the toughest guy. People didn't think he was, you know, always competed defensively, which is probably fair. Um, but, I mean, you talk about just absolute, you know, knock your socks off uh, games that, you know, you just can't get enough of. And I'll share. I hope I'm okay to take just a minute. But we went out. We went back to playing Glens Falls, um, Jimmer's senior year, which is his hometown. Uh, it's such a cool old New York town, upstate. And it was funny because my wife and I went for a walk that day, and there were a couple bars, um, you know, with Michelob and Coors, and had BYU flags hanging there too, which was just so <laughs> awesome. Um, but. I'm telling you, man, I walked into that arena and you talk about the special guys like Sam, who I believe is as special as they come. Jimmer's a special guy. Um, and walking into that arena that night when we started to get the announce, you know, the PA announcer took the mic. I mean, there wasn't a person 
that wasn't just buzzing in that town to see him play. Um, and I think that's kind of the effect that guys like he and Sam Kawhi have on their communities. Right. Um, and then the last guy Kawhi was just, I tell this all the time, but when he was a freshman, our game plan on him, actually his whole college career was gap him four feet and make him shoot a jumper and then make sure you block him out. Cause that was the best thing he did. He was an elite rebounder. Um, particularly his own miss. So um, I think what Kawhi did is he took San Diego State to heights they'd never been before. I mean, I think Jimmer did the same thing uh, at BYU. And, and Sam, you know, um, Utah State's had a ton of success, but I just think Sam's consistency and legacy will always be just a, a local guy who stayed true to, you know, his parents went there. He, In my mind, an Aggie uh Offer was as good as a Duke offer. And that's all he ever really wanted and just knew who he was and did what he did. And I fully expect that kid to play in the NBA. I think somebody's going to, um, you know, there's a bunch of guys that do a lot of homework, but they're going to see the greatness we've all seen. Actually, I was going to ask a follow-up on that. Do you think that Sam has a future in the NBA? Some draft boards have put him in the second round. Some guys are overlooking Sam. No, I, I think he totally does. You know, the guy that, Reminds me a little bit of Sam. You see him playing a you know, pretty vital role for a really good team right now um, is the Raptors. Um, and Matt Thomas is a guy that comes off the bench for them, about 6'5", kind of a do-everything guy, really can score it, tough, can guard. Um, those are types of guys that stick in that league. Um, I don't know how the draft will work out. I mean, it's so crazy anyway this year with COVID um, and how the, you know, Combine's going to be done virtually and all that stuff. But I do I do know, regardless of whether he gets drafted or not, if he, somebody gives him a chance, he's going to stick. Coach, I hope you know that you are uh, a gem of a human being. Like, honestly, you do a hell of a job on the Utah Jazz Radio Network. It's an honor and privilege to be able to listen to you. Uh, we look forward to hearing your thoughts tomorrow. You guys, no problem. Thanks so much. And uh, anytime, AJ, Eric, I can join you guys, let me know. I'd love to do it.